Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, good morning, Gateway. It is great to be with you again for another Sunday morning for Church Online. And hey, what a great video to celebrate Joan and Ian, legends of the faith. One of the things I love about Gateway is just the amazing people who have done the journey, people that we can learn from. So wonderful to celebrate the life of Joan and Ian. Well done, well done. Hey, it's great to have you for another Sunday as we continue a series we started last week called Love Never Fails. And we're sitting in a short passage, a well-known passage that is still famous, one of the greatest passages in all of history. It's still read out at weddings all around the world. It's a, a piece of literature written by St. Paul as he writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And he writes about love, the characteristics of love, the things that we all aspire to. We all aspire to, all, to love. We all want more love. And Tim Lucas, our Mackenzie campus pastor, last week kicked it off as he spoke about probably the key characteristic of love, sacrifice, sacrificial love, love over self. That's a love that we all want. We all want from others and we want to exhibit ourselves. We all want to be those loving people. We all believe, I think, that, that love actually would fix the world. And uh, Tim last week very bravely sang the song from the Beatles, all you need is love. And uh, he did a brilliant job at singing that. And I think we believe that. We all need love. But I think if we're honest, we're a little bit less like the Beatles and a little bit more like Meatloaf, who, who's saying, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I got no idea what he's talking about. I don't know what that is. I'm not sure Meatloaf knows what that is. If you know, please let us know. Keep it appropriate in the chat. But, but I think we've all got that in our lives. You know, there are, all things, there are things in our life that stop us from loving. There are things that we'd like to think that we're a loving person, but there are things that stop us from loving. And when we read this passage from Paul, if we put our names next to it, I think if we're really honest, we realize actually that we do fall short of the mark. There are a whole bunch of that's in our life that we struggle with. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what Paul says. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It, do it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul starts this beautiful stanza, this beautiful poem by saying, love is patient. It's unhurried. Love waits. Love is slow. And I reckon that's a real challenge for us in our world today, a world that is lived at breakneck speed. You know, everything for us is instant. We don't like waiting for anything. Everything around us is hurry and go. You know, 50 years ago, when people saw the technological wave that was coming, they thought that we'd have hours and hours of spare time every day. You know what we've done? We've just filled our time with more and more things. We, like never before, are living a hurried life. 
Let me just give you an example of what that life might look like. This might be your life. It might look a little bit like your life or not at all. But I think we all struggle at times with hurry. Just imagine with me for a moment. You know, we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is we grab our mobile phone and we start scrolling through just looking at all the news feeds and catching up with the news. No longer do we have to go down to the news agent to buy a newspaper anymore because we can just reach across and we have access to a whole bunch of newspapers right on our phone. We begin to wake up and we crawl out of bed and we go to the kitchen where we want a coffee. We need some caffeine to get going for the day. So what what do we do? We reach in and we grab our instant coffee. Now, I I know a whole bunch of you are turning your nose up right now because you don't like instant coffee but go with me. This is decaf, so I'd definitely not have this. But instant coffee, we have it. We just have our hot milk, hot water there and milk. We pour it and we have our coffee. We just enjoy that. Now we look around because it's cold. It's a winter's day and we want porridge. But we can't be bothered just making the, the normal porridge with oats. So we reach down and we can find just our instant oats. We just put that in the bowl. We put some water in, into the microwave, bing, bing, bing. And there we've got it. We've got our cereal. We've got our porridge for the day. We sit down and we're eating our porridge. We're drinking our drink, our, our instant coffee. All the while, we're scrolling through our phone just catching up on the news. We realise that time is getting away from us. We need to get to work, so we need to go and have a shower. So what do we do? We go to the shower, we turn the the tap, and we have beautiful, instant hot water. Hot water on a winter's day is beautiful. It's amazing. We spend too much time in the shower, and now we are running late for work. So we quickly get dressed, we run down, we grab our keys, and we press a button which opens the door, at least unlocks the door. We get into the car, we press another button which starts the engine. We back out, and off we go into the chaos of the day. We continue with that. I'm going to throw those keys away. We continue going. Perhaps some of you actually don't drive to work. Perhaps you like going in style with Uber. Five minutes before you need to go, you just tap tap a few buttons on your phone and your own chauffeur rolls up and you jump in the car and off you go also into the chaos of the day. Others of you actually walk or catch public transport. You know what you do? You grab your phone and you put your headphones on, plug it in, and all of a sudden you have access to all the music that's been recorded in the history of the world right in your hand, instantly available to you, or a podcast or news feeds, radio, whatever it is, and you listen to that on your way to work. You arrive at work and you sit down at your computer and you open it up and you turn it on and there are all your messages in your inbox, all asking to be replied. And so you spend the whole day responding instantly to these messages that are going back and forth to different people, both in your office and around the world. We've now figured out actually that you can talk to people directly face-to-face around the world. Over this season, we're all on Zoom, we're all on Microsoft Teams, we're all on Skype. And so now we're talking instantly to people all around the world. And so the whole day we're responding to the demands of messages and notifications and we're checking our phone and their emails, all very pressured. At the end of the day, we're exhausted. So we find ourselves going home through again the rush hour traffic and finding ourselves just lying on the couch, completely exhausted. We have no energy to cook our own dinner. So what do we do? We grab our phone again, we uh, tap a few buttons, and in half an hour, Uber Eats arrive with a freshly cooked hot meal that we can enjoy. We sit down on the lounge, we start eating our food from our Uber Eats, and we realize, actually, we're a bit bored. We want to be distracted from the chaos of the day. So what do we do? We grab our remote control, and we can choose any kind of movie, any kind of TV show from, from, from... from history, anything that we like. And so we choose that, we sit back and we enjoy our Uber Eats. We sit back and watch a movie, all the while on our phone, checking our emails, updating our status, looking at our to-do list and whatever's going on. At the end of the day, at the end of the night, we're exhausted, so we crawl off to bed and roll into bed, ready to do it all again the next day. You know, our lives are just full of hurry. 
exhaustion, panic. We are just addicted to speed. And at some point in the chaos of our lives, we need to cry out. And our lives cry out, slow down. We need to slow down. I know there's a whole bunch of you parents right now going, yeah, we'll try doing that with a whole bunch of young kids. And I'm hearing you right now. I'm hearing you. You know, life is chaotic. It's full on. And we need to slow down. Our hurry is destroying our joy, our love, and our lives. And it's leaving us frustrated, anxious, and angry. Now, we are more and more angry, angrier than ever before. You just have to drive around, go out in the morning in a rush hour, and people are just up to here with anger. You know, it just takes, you know, a look or an orange light or some incident, and people just lose it. You know, they just, they, they come out with rage and vitriol and anger. And let's be honest, that actually might be you too. You know, I'm not going to ask for hands up in the air just in case, but I know that many of us struggle, that, that our frustration, our anger just boils. It just sits underneath the sur- surface. And it's not just in our cars. You know, it's in our homes as well. Often we find ourselves overwhelmed and we lash out. We're angry at our spouse or our kids, at our family members, our friends, at people at our work or, and people that we don't even know. We are living in a higher level of anxiety and anger like never before. And in the midst of the chaotic, breakneck, stress speed of our lives, love tells us, slow down, slow down. Paul writes, love is patient. Love is happy to wait. And love is not easily angered. And I think what we see here and we see in Paul is that there is a direct connection between hurry and love. There's a a connection between impatience and anger. And this is worked out even more in the book of James, where James gives us some keys about how we can walk with patience in our lives. And I'm going to read from James chapter 1 tonight, starting at verse 9. And if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open it with me. And we're going to journey through this. James chapter 1, the words are going to come up on the screen as well. Let me read this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James tells us that we will be blessed if we slow down. James tells us that hurry and love don't go together. We need to get this. We need to understand this afresh, particularly in the context of the world that we're living in. You can't hurry love. Patience is willing to wait. James says that we are to be slow to speak. 
quick to listen. Why? Because relationship, love takes time. You know, we want the benefits of love often without paying the cost of love. We're surrounded in our, in our world, particularly with all these reality TV shows that try and tell us that you can have true love within three months and 10 episodes on a TV program. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Love takes time. You can't hurry love. It is slow and it's actually impatience that robs us of love. I love this quote from John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in the US. He says this, Hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments are when I'm in a hurry, late for an appointment, behind on an unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my day. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging, the antithesis of love. Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply do not mix. I don't know if those words resonate with you. They certainly resonate with me. You know, I have deep regret in the times when I have been so consumed with the busyness of life and the pressures of work and the things around me that I've actually missed the opportunities to sit and be patient and wait and extend my love to my children and to my wife. You know, I've sat on the couch and I've had my mobile phone and I've been going through emails and messages and I've been distracted both physically and mentally, not present with them. I've missed the opportunity to be with them, to be patient with them, to love them. Oh, I regret that. I wonder whether that might be part of your story too. You see, hurry and love do not go together. And our impatience... Our hurry leads to anger. James points this out. He says, be slow to speak. Take the time to be with people, but also be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. In fact, this is the meaning of patience. The Greek word that Paul uses in the Corinthians passage and also a little bit later on in Galatians chapter 5 when he articulates patience as parts of the fruits of the Spirit is the word makrothumia. And that is a Greek word that's uh, two two Greek words put together, makros, which means long, and thumia, which means uh, anger or passion, long anger. Now, what patience doesn't mean is being angry for a long time. What it means is it takes a long time to get angry. It's delaying anger. In fact, some translations say that love is long-suffering. It's long-suffering. Patience is long-suffering. It means slow to anger. And this is what James tells us. But too often we are not slow to become angry, but we're actually quick-tempered. You know, we get angry with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, with the randoms on the street because we haven't managed the anger, the frustration, the hurry, all the tension in our life and it just sits there bubbling underneath the surface and we lash out and then we give excuses for our anger. It was their fault. I'm just tired. It's my personality. I'm just being my authentic self. I've had a hard week. Other people. Other people treat me the same way. But these are just excuses for being unloving. They're just excuses for not showing love. And I want to challenge you as I challenge myself. If we find that we 
too easily snap. If anger is just brimming under the surface, then we need to deal with the deeper issues of our life. There are things going in for us. There are lies that we're believing about our identity and who we are and our value and worth. So often we put our value in worth and worth in what we do, in getting through those to-do lists, getting everything done, achieving success, whatever it is. And it causes this anxiety because of hurry in our life. And we just live under the surface. Anger is just sitting there. I feel like I need to say at this point, that there is never ever an excuse or a justification for domestic violence or emotional abuse. So look out at our community and our city at the moment. It is absolute tragedy to see the things that go on, go on in our homes, in our communities. You know, it is a sign of societal brokenness. And I want to say to you right now, if you are either a victim or perpetrator of such abuse, would you reach out for help? Right now, would you reach out for help? Would you contact and reach out to a friend or a family member, or if it's appropriate, a pastor, or contact our counselling centre, or, or call a hotline and call the government and get help? There's going to be a whole bunch of links that you can find right now if you are that person, if you need to reach out for help. Please do that. I do want to say that there is no excuse. There is no excuse, no justification for domestic violence, for emotional abuse, not in our community and certainly not in our church. You know, God tells us, he says that we are to be patient, that we are to be slow to anger. And God just doesn't tell us in an abstract way. God shows us in his own character that he is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. He shows us his character. He shows us what it is to be patient. God shows us what it means to love with a profound patience. And we see this throughout history. We see that God time and time again is patient with us. He is patient with his people. We see for thousands and thousands of years, we read through the Old Testament that the people of God and us, humanity, turn our back on his love. We reject his covenant. We go and do our own thing. And time and time again, God is patient with us. Ultimately, he comes for us in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us and to save us from our sin, to express his amazing, abundant, abounding love for us. And I sometimes wonder, why did it take so long? Why did it take so long for Jesus to come? Why couldn't that have all been sorted back in Genesis in the garden? Why couldn't have Jesus just sorted out straight away? But as I've asked that question, I've realized that actually it takes time for God to reveal his love to us. You can't hurry love. God doesn't hurry love. He wants to show us that he truly is patient that he truly is abounding in love. And time and time again throughout the Old Testament, we see this attribute given to God. In fact, God gives that name to himself, that attribute to himself. We read in Exodus chapter 34, these words, uh, verse five, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God says of himself that he is patient, he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. God moves slowly because he wants us to understand his patient love. I love this quote from the Japanese theologian Kasuki Kayama. He writes this, it's a well-known quote. He says, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would not have gone much he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is a slow, yet it is, it is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. God moves at a slow speed because he wants to reveal that he is a patient, loving God to us. The other reason why God can move at a slow speed is because he's eternal. He can understand. He sees all of time. He sees eternity. And so he understands what time means. And the amazing thing is, is just as he understands, he has this eternal worldview, this eternal perspective, he invites us into that same eternal perspective. You see, when we're saved, when we receive Jesus into our life, when we receive his grace and his love, when we enter into a relationship with him, we are offered eternal life. We read that wonderful passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not die, but receive eternal life. We are invited into that eternal life and we are given an eternal perspective and that changes everything. Because no longer are we just living, living for this 70 years on earth, trying to extricate the, everything out of it and achieve everything that we can and experience everything we can and do everything we can. That is the lie of our culture. Our culture says you've got to experience everything in the short time you have because that's it. But that's not our view. Our view is that we get to live for eternity. There is so much more that we get to enjoy for all eternity. And when we have this eternal perspective, we can say to ourselves, it's okay. We can relax. We don't need to hurry. We don't have to do everything now. We have got eternity. It changes our whole perspective. So when you find yourself hurried, when you find yourself anxious and stressed trying to get everything done, remind yourself that if you are in Christ, you are invited into an eternal perspective. Changes everything. God invites us into that perspective. We can play the long game. This week I caught up with Rod and Helen Irvine. Rod and Helen uh, are part of Gateway and uh, they are, they've been married for almost 50 years. They're coming up to 50 years of marriage. And I caught up with them uh, this week just to hear a little bit of their story as they've journeyed together, lovingly uh, walked together, shown patience to one another, long suffering for one another. So why don't you just uh, listen to this interview that I had with them just this week. Well, Rod and Helen, uh, congratulations. It's 50 years since you were engaged. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Uh, tell us a little bit about how it all happened. Well, we knew each other and we'd known each other around church circles for quite a while. 
Helen was a bit younger than I was, so um, nothing was happening. But then uh, suddenly we started to feel a bit of a connection and I asked her out and she said yes. And then it just took off like an absolutely raging forest fire. It just went absolutely crazy. And about three months later, quite unexpectedly coming home from uni, uh, I asked her to marry me and she said yes. And it just sort of, we were sort of walking around hitting each other, hitting, each, hitting not each other, but ourselves, thinking, what do we just do? Um, but we did, that was actually the 50 years since the proposal. It took me another seven months to ask Helen's father about it because he was a fierce looking guy and I thought he would absolutely freak out at his daughter being so young and getting married. And did he freak out? <clears throat> they did freak out a little bit. They were very concerned that I finished uni first. I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I asked him between overs at the cricket on watch on TV and all he did was he, he let out a maniacal laugh, jumped up and ran out of the room, left me sitting there. Very awkward. Very awkward indeed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Rod and Helen, you ended up having five children, uh, right. which is which is a lot. That's hectic. Tell us a little bit about life growing up with a, a young family. How did you learn to love your kids and love one another in that season? Well, that I, that was where real you know, pressures come up because kids bring pressure, uh, and uh, we always saw us ourselves as a team, a team in in uh, in that area, but a team in every area. And uh, the kids would be frustrated because they couldn't drive a wedge between us. Um, in fact, I remember our daughter saying once in a quite a rebellious spirit, when I get married, my husband and I are going to have a brain each. We're not going to share the same brain like you and Dad. Wow. <laughs> we were always together on everything. They couldn't yeah. play us off. Yeah, that's what they tried to do. They tried but, to you play know, us off. They say little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Well, I think that's pretty true. Even though when the, your kids are little, there's a lot of physical pressures. You get tired, you've got a lot of work to do. It's hard work. Yeah. Well, did you, were there any times where that, that pressure got to you? That well, there were a couple of times when uh, we had some quite bad crises and it actually brought us closer together, didn't it? Really? Yeah. The, the, the bigger the crises, the more we, we actually talked about it. We had common, common ways that mm. we wanted to deal with it um, and, and we got through it. I mean, occasionally there was one time when Helen sort of stamped her feet and said, no, we're going to do X, Y and Z, and, and we had we did it that way. But that was pretty rare, and, and I was happy with that. It was just the way we, we processed our discussions. But we discussed everything, and we had common courses. We, we didn't undermine each other. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, Rod, you were leading a large church down in Sydney, and Helen, you went on to, to study um, and have a profession of your own. Obviously, you both led, led busy lives. How did you walk, walk that season so that your love continued to grow um, and nurture that relationship in the midst of just the busyness and the pressures of life? Helen? I think you've got to be in it for the long haul, and both of us were committed to the long haul, even though we had little flare-ups along the way. Well, quite a few flare-ups, really, along the way. We were in it for the long haul, and we just made it work. We just both worked hard, and we just... Well, we had kids living at home for 34 years in amongst all of that. So, it, yeah, it was busy. But Rod thought about this metaphor of the fire. You know, he mentioned a raging forest fire. You need to throw another log on the fire all the time. But you're in for the slow burn over the long time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, too, um, we weren't Christians when we got married. We became Christians after we were married. And so we did a journey together. And we pray together and all that sort of stuff. And I think, I think that helps a lot. Really, it does. 
And the, when you've got those pressures, family and church, I mean, Helen was doing five different ministries. I was trying to grow a church. She was doing postgraduate study as well. Um, it, it actually throws up the, uh, the, the differences in your personality yes, type, which you overlook when you're younger. But the, the, the more you get put into the pressure cooker of life, the more you tend to react yes. as natural in your personality type. And that's when we had to sort of try and understand each other and be forgiving and, well, long-suffering for each other. And just, you know, just say, we are in this for the long haul, we are a team, and nothing is going to break us up. Well, speaking of, of being together and working it out, you've been, because of uh, some medical reasons, you've been in isolation together for the last four months. How are you coping in this COVID season? I'm coping fine, but he's really suffering. Well, look, I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm an introvert, so I'm quite happy being inside. Where it was difficult was that I, I made up a book for Helen's, you know, because I celebrate our 50 years of our proposal, and I wanted to do it in secret. And it was a, quite a substantial book, and I just could never get rid of her. She was always in the apartment. She was always coming into the inn. And, I mean, I was, I, I was ringing up my daughter-in-law, who was helping me with the book, saying... Help, Helen is ubiquitous. She's everywhere. I cannot get rid of her. Uh, but uh, I think there was more that we had a plan, didn't we, Helen? Yeah, we were on the same page. On the big things of life, we're on the same page. We squabble a lot about the little things of life. But with that, we assessed Rod's health and thought, OK, we're going to voluntarily isolate. Early, we did it earlier than other people. So we looked at that and figured out our strategy and then we looked at our finances and figured out, made a few adjustments that we needed to make because of the changes. And once we had those things in place, we thought, yep, right, we're going to, just going to settle down for the duration now. Yeah, that meant it took the stresses out of it. We weren't, yeah, worried, yeah, we weren't we, worried about things coming at us that we hadn't sort of thought about. We've always liked to face up to the problems together and know what we're dealing with yeah. rather than sweeping them under the carpet. I think that's really And the older you get, the more you need to do that. Yes. And you're still here, four months later. We're still together. Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, tell us, what do you think is the key to living a life of love? Well, I think the real key thing, particularly for Christian folk, is to understand that in that passage in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says love is patient, the love that he uses there is not the erotic sorts of love, it's, it's the commitment love, it's the love that God loves us in, it's the love that we sing about when we say that God never gives up, and, and that's a, a fruit of the Spirit. So if I'm a believer in Jesus, if I follow Jesus, then it's that love that I've got to be giving in my life, it's that love I've got to be giving to my wife, and it's that love that never gives up and is long-suffering. So it doesn't matter what she is, who she is, where she is, I'm there for her, and vice versa. So the, uh, the, the forest fire sort of love, the Eros love that we had back 50 years ago, yeah, we like a bit of that, and you've got to keep putting, you've got to keep putting the logs on the fire to do that. But in one sense, uh, I love that old quote where it says, it, it's not love that sustains your marriage, it's marriage that sustains your love. So it, it, it's that commitment that keeps us on going, yeah. So are we 100% patient every day? No. We still have our little squabbles and bickerings and get impatient with each other, particularly when we've been stuck inside together for several months. And as one of our kids said, just be careful what you say because there are recordings of you and Dad having squabbles. They do that. They do that. But the long, for the long term, yes. I'm long-suffering. And the, that's the key, I think. And the older you get, we realise 
that we've got to be a unit even more, you know, the unit like we're a romantic unit, the financial unit, health unit, economic unit, spiritual unit, spiritual unit, staying together. Yeah. It pays dividends yeah. in the short and long term. <laughs> well, thank you, Rod and Helen, for uh, sharing a little bit of your story and being so honest with us today. And uh, all the best as you journey towards your 50-year anniversary of being married. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, well, thank you, Helen and Rod, for sharing a little bit of your story uh, with us. You know, Rod and Helen are very different people, uh, but over the course of their life, they've submitted to one another. They have worked at their relationship. They've been patient with one another. They've been long-suffering. But in that process, as they've worked through, they've grown in patience and they've grown in love. And that's the thing, is that patient love requires work. It requires effort. It requires discipline. Patient love requires practice. You know, patience is a discipline that is to be practiced. It's not something that we can just turn on and off. It is something that is built and cultivated over time. We need to create space in our life, margin in our life. We need to make capacity in our lives in order to have capacity to love others. It takes work. Patience is like learning to drive or learning to play an instrument. There's a whole bunch of formation and work and muscle memory that happens over time as we discipline ourselves and we work at it. Because as we know, we live in a culture that presses in us and wants in on us and wants to enforce hurry into our lives. It takes work. I love what John Ortberg says in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted. As he describes the discipline of slowing, he says this, the discipline of slowing is cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. We actually have to put ourselves in positions where we have to wait. That is so hard. I hate waiting. I hate being still. I like moving. I like getting things done. Patience and cultivating patience is a discipline. I just want to give us a couple of things to walk away with as we come to land today. Things that maybe you can walk away with and you can apply in your own life so that you can grow in love and you can grow in patience in your own life. Firstly, if you want to learn to love, you need to learn to slow down. You actually need to learn to slow down. One of the great gifts that God gives us is the gift of Sabbath. You know, God instituted it right at the very beginning in Genesis you know, God himself created the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. And then he tells us, he says, you must rest. In the Ten Commandments, he tells us, you must take one day out of seven to rest. And that's reiterated by Jesus in the New Testament and the writer to the Hebrews. We must Sabbath. We must put a day aside, one in, in, in seven, to rest, to do things that are different from the other six. It's to be set apart, separate and holy. And that's really difficult. I'm going to be honest that I have really struggled to put aside a 24-hour block in my life. Again, because I just like getting things done. But God tells us to stop. And when we do, it changes our whole week. You know, Megan and I, for the last year or so, have been really working at cultivating this idea of Sabbath in our family. And so from Friday night to Saturday night, that is our Sabbath. 
and I put away my emails, I put away my computer, and I'm trying to put away the social media and my mobile phone and digital devices. I'm still working on it, I'm gonna be honest. And for that 24-hour period, we celebrate life together. We stop doing all the things we normally do in the other six days, and we celebrate being together. We have a family fun night every Friday night that we look forward to. And then Saturday, we celebrate with family going out on outings and spending time with our family and with our friends. And I gotta tell you, it changes things. It's changed me. It's changed the way that I work because I can handle the hurry and the busyness in the other six days knowing that there is going to be a release valve on my Sabbath day and I look forward to it. I know that I can handle the hurry. I can, I can deal with the, with the tension because I know that my Sabbath day, I'll be able to rest. God gives us a Sabbath for a reason. It's our release valve. It's our opportunity to enter into grace that he offers us. And get this, it's a reminder that we enter into eternity. It's our reminder that we get to have an eternal perspective. We won't get it all done now. We can't get all the work done now. Let's enjoy our relationship with others and with God. If you want to learn to love, learn to slow down. And secondly, if you want to learn to love, learn to listen. This is what James says. James says you need to shut up. And you need to listen, listen to others. Patience is about listening. It's about waiting. It's allowing others to speak. We live in a world where everybody has their opinion and wants to give their opinion. And what we see is there's just a whole bunch of shouting. If you go on social media, you just see shouting from one side to the other. No one is listening. No one is patient enough in giving other people the dignity to listen. See, when we listen, we are showing love. We need to learn to listen. One of the things that I'd encourage you in this season is to reconnect into community. Now, I'm looking forward to getting back into church. I really am and celebrating uh, as a church. Being in community cultivates patience. I know there's a whole bunch of introverts right now who are wondering whether they're going to go back to church because they're quite enjoying doing church under the doona. I want to say to you, if you want to cultivate love, find yourself in community. Church is one of those places where you're with a whole bunch of people that you wouldn't normally hang out with, but you gather together around grace, around the cross, and you cultivate patience. Find yourself in a life group and find yourself amongst people that are very different from you in your community groups and sport groups, whatever it is, serving in the care centre. Just find yourself with different people, learning, cultivating, growing, disciplining the patience in your life. Listen to others and then secondly, listen to God. James says in James chapter one, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James says, look intently into the perfect law. He doesn't say skim through the law. He doesn't say brush over it. He says, gaze into it. Look intently into God's perfect law. We live in a superficial age. And one of the disciplines that we can cultivate in this season is by slowing down and spending time gazing into God's word, gazing into his character, gazing into his love. And as we read about his character, as we read his law, we, we, are, we are invited into a, his profound love. See, his perfect law is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. 
As we gaze into Jesus, not only do we understand God's character, but we understand our identity. See, James says that we are given freedom. See, when we gaze into his law, when we look intently, not only are we looking at God, but we are seeing ourselves, our new identity, and our new identity sets us free. It sets us free from having to be be hurried, running around, stressed, anxious. Our identity is not in what we do, our achievements, our output. Our, Our identity is wrapped up in what God says about us, his character, his love. And he speaks love over us. He loves us so much that He came and He died for us on a tree. He died for all our sins, all our brokenness, all our shame so that we may be in relationship with Him and we can be in relationship with Him for eternity. That is what we find when we sit and we spend time looking intently at the character of God. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that God? Do you know Jesus? You know, perhaps you've been joining us online for a while and and you're not in that relationship. You're not sure that actually you're invited into eternal relationship with Jesus. You don't know that if you died today that you'd actually be in eternity with Him. The invitation for you today is to step into that relationship, to step into the, the, the arms of a loving God who died for you, who has showed that He is slow to anger and abounding in love. He loves you. He died for you. And He wants to be in relationship with you. Your response, your response is to turn from your old life and to turn to Him in faith. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to encourage you just to click a button right now. It says, I want to follow Jesus. That's what I want. I want to be in an eternal relationship with Him. And if that's you, if you click that button or you, that's, that's your heart, then I would love to lead you in a prayer right now, which essentially says, God, I'm turning away from my sin and my selfishness and I'm turning towards you in faith. Will you come into my life? I want to be in relationship with you. I want to follow you as my King and my Lord. If that's you right now, wherever you are, would you pray this with me? The words are going to come up on the screen. Let me read this prayer right now. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and choose to follow you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and promise me new life. Please come into my life so I can know your power and your grace forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, that is the greatest prayer that you could pray, the greatest decision that you could make. You've stepped out of death and you've stepped into life, eternal life with Jesus. We just want to cheer you on and celebrate. Hey, why don't we just cheer on those who have prayed that prayer today? Just hit that love heart button. And hey, if you did pray that prayer this morning, can I encourage you now just to hit the connect button, get connected button. We'd love to connect with you and help you on your journey of faith. There you are invited to exciting life. It's going to be full of challenges, but you now know that you have an eternal perspective. Your life is now hidden with Christ forever. That is so exciting. Hey, in a moment, our team are going to lead us in a song, a bit of a confessional song called, Lord, I Need You. And I reckon today that there is a response that we can all make. There are two things I want to ask you to do as the band leads us in this song. Firstly, I want you to acknowledge. 
Acknowledge the things in your life where you perhaps haven't been patient, where you have been quick-tempered, quick to anger. Acknowledge the things or the behaviours or the patterns in your life that are not healthy, where you've given way to hurry and anxiety. Acknowledge. And secondly, I'm going to ask you to act. What is God calling you to do off the back of this? Be obedient to what James says. Don't just listen to all these good words that we've had today without doing anything. That's just crazy. If you believe that God is speaking to you today, go away and do something about it. Act. Maybe, it, maybe you need to put a Sabbath into your life. Maybe you need to go and confess or, or, or ask for forgiveness to someone. Maybe you need to find yourself in a community. What is God calling you to do now? As the team worship, I encourage you, make that note. Write it down on your phone or journal, whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Let's respond to the move of His Spirit on our hearts as we respond to His Word this morning. Let's sing, let's worship. pray for us this morning. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you that you are our one defence, our righteousness. And God, for those of us here who are grappling with the reality of our own lives and perhaps our own mistakes, our own brokenness, God, I pray that today, right now, that we will know that you love us. You love us more than anything, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in love. That is who you are, and that is what you speak over our lives. You've proven it at the cross. And so, God, for all of us today, may we take hold of that afresh, take hold of your faithful, patient, kind love. Lord, help us. Help us to be a people who are patient, that we will also be slow to anger and abounding in love. Help us, Lord God. Fill us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us this morning. I want to give you one more challenge. One of the things I found challenging over the years is to take that 1 Corinthians passage and replace the word love with my name. Maybe you want to do that. Just write it in your journal and put it near your computer or on the fridge if you're brave enough. And and then just be challenged. You know, are you those things that Paul challenges us with? Are we truly loving? Maybe that's an exercise you can do over the, the season of this life and allow God to continue to work and change you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Bless you. Have a great day. And we look forward to seeing you next week as we wrap up our Love Never Fails series. Bless you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know. 